This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show. And today uh, we are bringing on a guest, Brandon Marcello, National College Football Reporter for 24-7 Sports and a good friend of ours. Welcome to the show, Brandon. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it, it's a good time to have you on, we felt like, because it's the, the freshness of this past season ending is still still there, and there's the optimism to look ahead to the next season. There's that excitement still. Um, so let's go back maybe to 2022 first. And Dan Lanning's first season, uh, he wins 10, 10 games. He wins a bowl game. Um, he had some pretty bad losses. Uh, he had a humbling first game experience, which you were at. Uh, how would you grade? How would you look at this season by Dan Lanning? Because it's not the normal first year job. Like, it, 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 there's expectations to win the conference this season. Uh, it's it's a school that you have to win. You have to recruit at a different level, and it's and it's not the normal situation of. Uh, a year one coach enters across the country. I would grade it like overall as, you know, like maybe a B plus a minus recruiting and what they're doing is setting a foundation for that. I would say a solid a, um, uh, I, I think there we'd be joking ourselves. We thought that there wouldn't be some hiccups of some sort under Dan Lanning the first year for any first year coach. Um, heck, even under Sonny Dykes at TCU, there were hiccups. They had seven come from behind wins. They came back in all those games to win them, obviously. But then there were stumbles. They lost to Kansas State in the Big 12 Championship. And they got blown out in the worst lopsided loss in national championship history. And for everything TCU did this year and for being the darling of college football, they will not have a ring or a banner to hang. They have no championship, no conference title, nothing. So um, it's all about the, the matter of when you lose and how you lose. And so anyway, Dan Lanning did a fantastic job, I thought, with Oregon this year. But there were some things you just kind of shook your head out going, what's going on? I do think that that you know nationally from like a 30,000-foot view when people look at Oregon, this season's not going to be like, oh, that was Dan Lanning's year. It'll be wow, Bo Nix like, came like out of nowhere. And we got the great Bo Nix experience for the first time, yeah. really. And now there's a lot of hype around Oregon going into the next season. Not necessarily because of Dan Lanning. Certainly he's part of that. But because Bo Nix is coming back, and can he even go further than what he did this past season and maybe get in New York City and have a lot of fun and play for a national, or national championship and maybe for a Heisman trophy. Um, you know, that's all on the table. It all seems possible. And uh, I would not have thought that a year ago at all. 
Brandon, what you just said there was kind of where I was headed with my question, which was you, you've been around Bo, right? I believe in 19, were you covering Auburn then? I can't remember exactly when you transitioned yes. over to, to national. Yep. So you were there his first year and you've kind of seen the maturation. And at first, as you know, uh, for Oregon fans, first impression in Atlanta wasn't great. That was a really tough game for everybody, but Bo included. How impressive was the response afterwards? And, and as you said, kind of what it sets up for Oregon in 2023 with the expectations you can start having, some of the thought process you can start going through of, man, what could this team be? You're not having that if Bo doesn't have that fantastic run. Like, I know you were from afar after the Atlanta game because, as we said, you were there for that. But just kind of watching it from afar, how impressive was it? How Maybe how surprising was it to see him kind of put it all together? Yeah, because after that first game, I went, well, there's one of two things going on here. Maybe it's both. George is in Bo's head because he just, that's his worst game when he was at Auburn and obviously in, against Oregon this past year it was. And then also I was thinking he hasn't improved very much. He still doesn't trust his offensive line, even though it's a new group there at Oregon for him compared to what he had at Auburn, which his Auburn offensive line was very, very bad. And uh, that doesn't get enough uh, of the blame for why he did struggle at Auburn. And so I thought he was back to seeing ghosts again and things that weren't there and he was just not going to get over it that once that's in your head it's not getting out oh. but boy did he change and uh from from week two on that's a credit to him and to kenny dillingham being able to scheme that offense in, in a way as such to provide him some confidence he knows what to provide him to make him successful and then what to build on from there um, and it's going to be fascinating to watch Bo Nix, obviously, and where he goes from here as far as his growth, but also uh, working under a different offensive coordinator for once again. I mean, you guys could tell me how many offensive coordinators has he had in his career now? Different, you know, even quarterback. This will be his fifth, I'm pretty sure. So Different coordinator uh, every year. It's insane. Or I guess fourth because uh, he had Dillingham twice at just a different schools. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and listen, well, and I'll say this, it, it, the offense was different than when he ran at Auburn. Yes, um, sure. Because it had, a, had the Gus Malzahn flavor <sighs> to it. So it's going to be interesting to watch. But Bo's the man now, man. And he, he has shown that. And I think he finally believed – not to say that he didn't believe in himself, but I think he actually does believe in himself now. And that goes a long way when you've got that five-star type of arm talent that he's got. The conference as a whole – I felt like took a jump in 2022. Um, they had the most teams in the in the country win 10 or more games, five. Uh, they had six teams finish the season ranked in the top 25. But they also didn't win the Rose Bowl. They didn't win the Cotton Bowl. I think their, their best bowl wins of the year are probably a Texas team and a North Carolina team. I don't think those are earth-shattering wins. How do we perceive the Pac-12 in 2022? Is it an improvement? Is it a big improvement? Is it just kind of whatever? Because they're out on the West Coast and who cares? It's an, it's a, <laughs> it's an, an improvement, and it was a conference that was in line for the entire season to get back in the playoff. Um, all the way up until that final weekend of championship weekend, we all thought it was going to happen with USC and it didn't. And Washington, I thought, was the story that no one outside of the Pac-12 really ever talked about, and which was crazy to me. And I think part of that, we go back to the whole, 
East Coast bias thing, I think a lot of that had to do because a lot of Washington's games this past season were late night, night games. Yeah. Um, and even on the West Coast. <clears throat> and I would have to, I'd be driving back from like even, I go cover TCU, Kansas or Oklahoma State. And I'd be driving back listening to it on satellite radio at one in the morning, my time. Yeah. So you can imagine no one on the East Coast is watching it, let alone listening to it. And so next season, I, I've said this already and it'll bite me in the butt, but I think. Pac 12's got a chance to be the second best conference in all of college football next season. Wow. Um, all the returning talent at quarterback, I mean, goodness gracious, you could build an all star college football uh, team, you know, around those quarterbacks easily. And I think that that is going to go a long way into allowing them, one, to win some big out of conference games, and especially early in the season, but also maintain a level of consistency week to week because not only are there great quarterbacks returning, but they're veteran guys too, for the most part, other than Caleb Williams. But at this point, Caleb Williams is a veteran. This will be his third year as a starter or part-time starter, so to speak, at USC. So um, I uh, I the Pac-12 is going to beat up on itself, and it did this season too. But as you mentioned, I think the voters and people were finally coming around to, oh, this is high-quality football. And there should be six teams still ranked in the top 25 despite them beating up on each other. Um, I just hope that, you know, uh, voters and media or whatever don't start to look for holes in the Pac-12 again and go, well, USC doesn't play defense. They're not tough enough. So that means the rest of the Pac-12 is like that. And the the wins that they're having are not not as great as we thought. Um and I do think that there's so many great storylines to follow this offseason, but USC is was so disappointing me to this year because that defense was so freaking soft. Yeah. Absolutely giving up on plays, not tackling, making business decisions out there rather than playing football. And if they don't they don't do that, they just simply play with more effort. They beat Tulane, obviously. They they hang on to that game, and they beat Utah in that second game, even with an injured Caleb Williams. Yeah. Three of those touchdowns, I, and by my count, were because of lack of effort. Terrible. I was surprised they're they're keeping Alex Grinch at, at defensive coordinator. I am too. I am too. And it, but it goes to show you that Lincoln Riley is very very loyal to the guy. I mean, goodness gracious, he was getting it from all sides from OU fans um, before, oh. obviously, that he left. Uh, for for USC and USC fans are giving it to him too. It's just very clear that there's a culture there with that defense. For whatever reason, they just do not play very hard and they do not tackle worth a damn late in the season. I mean, they just don't. And that's been a common undercurrent. That's been the undercurrent for all of Alex Grinch's defenses throughout his career. Brent, you, 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 you opened that last kind of question and I guess your answer talking about the quarterback play in this conference. And, and as you mentioned, the portal was so friendly to this league. You know, I mean, we, we talked about how good Bo was. He wasn't even a first or second team all conference quarterback because Caleb Williams and Michael Penix, two guys who were also brought into the portal, were just that much better and had that kind of a season. You know, uh, statistically, some of the better seasons nationally, Heisman winner and Caleb Williams. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. I'm not expecting the conference to be able to go out and find that caliber of quarterbacks, those, that kind of a group every year. But how sustainable is it for the Pac-12 to rely upon the portal 
because you look around the conference and even some of the smaller schools, they're starting quarterbacks for guys they got in the portal, whether it was Jaden Delore going from Washington State to Arizona, Cam Ward up at Washington State, even uh, Jack Plummer at Cal. I mean, just the whole league was basically built on the backs almost of, of these portal guys. Does that feel like a sustainable solution for a conference that, as we know, not too long from now is going to lose two of its banner members? Not year to year, but every few years. And it's like that for all conferences, for that matter. But it's crazy to think that the Pac-12, which a lot of people just stereotyped as a quarterback haven because of all the great quarterbacks that come out of the states of California and Arizona, now their best quarterbacks are transfer mm -hmm. portal guys. But the, 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 the fact of the matter is it's like that most places. Unless you got a homegrown talent or a guy that just came in as a freshman star like a Drake May at North Carolina and you're able to keep there on campus, it's just how it goes. I mean, look at... Uh, Notre Dame, they're about to get a veteran quarterback in Wake Forest transfer, Sam Hartman, and that guy's a record-breaking guy. It'll be interesting to see what kind of offense they run there because he's used to that slow mesh. I'm not so certain Notre Dame's going to keep doing that. But such a, such a weird offense, by the way. It, and, it, and it, gosh, it gets your heart racing because you're like, they're gonna, they're not going to get the ball out, and they do. Yeah. Um, but you know, the Pac-12 just absolutely loaded with transfer quarterbacks, and uh, you know that. But that's the way you got to go. Uh, these days, and it's a, not just a quick fix, but as we've seen with Oregon or with Washington State, um, it's you could have a two to three year starter at quarterback by going the portal. This isn't like, oh, we got them for one year. This is it's like getting a really great five star freshman quarterback, him starting for two years and then going to the NFL anyway. I, I don't think there's much difference there. It's just when you get them in the at what point in their career, and it's not just quarterbacks for the portal for, yeah. for the conference. Sure. Five of the top 10 teams in the transfer portal rankings are Pac-12 schools. And then there's another one in the, and I think there's six in the top 25. Um, the league is turning itself over. And I think that maybe kind of goes into my, my next question here. And that's just 2023 will be the swan song for USC and UCLA. And that will be, the big focus for a lot of us here in the media next season for the Pac-12. But when you look at it, hey, like there's these races, but it's also goodbye to two historic programs. UW is surging. Oregon State is surging up. Arizona feels like they're getting better. Colorado and ASU have a lot of optimism um, around their programs right now. Deion Sanders, certainly. Kenny Dillingham at ASU. After 2023, how do we, how do we view this league? Like, is is it healthy when we look at what they're going into, like, for 2023 and knowing the teams that are going to be good aren't just USC and UCLA. There's other bannered programs. Oregon and Utah continue to be kind of the, the bearers of, of, of the conference, the, the consistency of it. Utah won in the league two years in a row. Like, do, do we feel like this is still a really good league, or are they just a slow death? I still think it's a good league. Uh, the worst thing that could happen just as far as short-term to next year is if somehow, some way, it becomes clear that USC and UCLA are the best programs in football next season. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine the storylines and narrative with that? But, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, again, it, it's a cyclical thing. I do think that there will be a downward spike or spike, but a downward trend for the Pac-12 in 2024, one, because those two programs leaving, but also all that quarterback talent likely leaving. And um, that's going to hurt just even if USC and UCLA were still in the conference from a national perspective. So 
Um, it could be a hard fall from grace. Again, I think the Pac-12 could be the second best conference in all college football next year. And then the year after that, they might be fourth or fifth um, because of all that talent that's leaving. But again, you can change those fortunes overnight. I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought Oregon State would have DJ Uyongle at quarterback. You know, I, I just never would have thought that. So who's going to be the quarterbacks in 2024 at some of these other programs? And also, you guys probably might be able to tell me this, like which programs in the Pac-12 are developing freshmen and sophomore quarterbacks behind these transfers and doing so properly yeah. to where they feel like they're going to be the starters before they go, you know what, I'm going to transfer out. It's a fickle game, and we call it free agency with the portal and everything, but this is year-round free agency. They're re-recruiting these guys and then also there's just the psychological element of how do you keep coaching and developing a player who's sitting there maybe midway through a season who's a youngster going, I think I might transfer. And so they're not completely bought into what they're being taught at that time. There's just so many variables to all this. You're right that DJ going to Oregon State is one of the weirder yeah. results <laughs> of the portal. I mean, when he came out of Southern California because we were covered and followed that recruitment there was almost an I thought a zero percent chance he'd end up on the West Coast again. Yeah. Period, and the fact that he would end up at Oregon State of all schools just bizarre. Uh, probably for him, maybe the I don't want to say the worst case, but a tougher fall from grace than, than anyone really envisioned. Introducing the Two Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Brandon, transitioning out of the next question, uh, there probably isn't a more rousing debate on our message board than what should Oregon do long term in terms of conference realignment? Um, you know, obviously no invitations on the table right now. Kevin Warren leaving the big as you know, no longer the Big Ten commissioner probably doesn't help Oregon in terms of getting into the Big Ten regardless. Hypothetically, if Oregon had an opportunity to join the Big Ten or the SEC or one of the conferences that really matters, and again, this is hypothetical world, so it doesn't have to be, we don't have to get into the nuance of it all. What's better for Oregon long term? Being in the Pac-12, maybe being the big dog on the West Coast in that conference or going to one of the conferences that financially, because I think that's the big disparity that is, is, is maybe lost on some fans who aren't following the money trail enough, but does the potential to dominate the conference outweigh maybe any of the financial concerns? What's your perspective on that for Oregon? Yeah, you know, it's obviously so difficult, but hypothetically, like I, I sit here and I think like if if a conference continues to weaken, you have two teams leaving, and then it becomes apparent that Oregon and, and Washington are going to have to stay in that conference. 
and then they dominate it. How does them dominating the conference themselves affect the teams below them? Do they just continually to regress because now they're the top dogs and very clearly, and there's less room to maneuver in the yard, so to speak, and claim territory? I think that's possible. And that would be, uh, that could not necessarily be devastating the conference, but could definitely weaken the bones. And it could make the Pac-12 to be considered the, the weakest conference among the power conferences, which, by the way, that term's going to have to go to what go away. Mm -hmm. um, but if there was an opportunity for Oregon to join the Big Ten or to join the SEC, they should jump at it immediately. Don't sit there and think, like, well, we want to stay here on the Pac-12 and be dominant, you know, potentially year-to-year -year in football. Because in the future, being dominant in the Pac-12, hypothetically, maybe that gets you into the playoff, but does so as a lower seed. Um, whether you're the champion or not. And who's to say the playoff committee doesn't change their criteria? Because we talk about getting the sixth highest ranked conference champions now. Well, maybe at some point they go, well, you know, the AAC and the Pac-12 are so much weaker than we thought with strength of schedule. We're only going to give buys or not buys, but you know, you know what I mean? They might change it to the four highest ranked or five sure. highest ranked. Who knows? That they will change criteria as they see how this new system goes along and also what football college football looks like conference to conference but listen i know it just sounds like you're chasing money but yeah chase the money but also money allows you to do more things and to be stronger and you know i hate to say it but like oregon like how how long can you lean into you know phil knight and nike and mm -hmm. all that you gotta build out to where you're Obviously, they're sustainable, but something that's a little bit more viable in the future, 20, 30, 40 years from now. And, you know, that's why, like, when I heard rumors about, you hear all these rumors about, well, Oregon's going to go to the Big Ten because they've decided they can supplement a buyout to the Pac-12 or whatever or supplement pay for whatever. And it's all like, why do you need to pay your way to get into a conference? You know, this isn't a nightclub with a cover charge. <laughs> you're the one being, you know, you're the one being invited to participate and to provide yourself as a brand and a program to them, not the other way around. And so, yeah, um, Oregon and any school, they should jump at that opportunity. And, and to be quite honest, I kind of think that if the Big 12 were to come, calling you would have to seriously give that some thought because the pac 12 i made some predictions and again just predictions but i i think the pac 12 is going to get a really great media rights deal it's going to be bigger than the big 12 i believe but the reason for that is because i think it's going to be mostly streaming and the streamer whoever that is most likely amazon is going to be willing to pay more to get that type of inventory and to stake a claim in co the college athletics realm that no one else has in the streaming wars right now. And then they'll have a secondary package or maybe it'll be a first-tier package, but much smaller, that goes to one of the big over-the-air networks nationally to kind of broadcast their game of the week or whatever. And they'll get more money for that. But that's great short-term. Long-term is not going to be good when they have to re-up again with media rights. And the Big 12 is made as such to where they're going to be in a much stronger position potentially whenever the next contract comes open. And for that matter, you also got to pay attention to what's going on elsewhere with potential more realignment in 2030. 
I think 2030 is a very important date that everybody needs to keep in their minds. It sounds like it's far away, but it's not. In 2030, that's kind of my target there for the ACC potentially to get raided. Right. Because of the uh, of the uh, media rights, uh, what do you call that? The uh, uh, the buyout that they've got, it's substantial. But that's pretty much going to go away in 2030. And if that happens and there's some turmoil or some questions right now, even like right now at the ACC, you don't think Clemson or Virginia and some of these other programs are going to be like, we want to get See out. It. We want to go to the SEC. We want to go to the Big Ten. Um, and so... Anyway, long story short, there's so many other things and variables you got to look at. Short term, the Pac-12 is going to be good financially and competitively, but long term, 10 years, 15, and then beyond, Oregon would be best served to be in another conference because I just don't see, based off of the available programs out there, if they were to even expand, yeah. who do you get? San Diego State, obviously, but that's an obvious pick, but it's like, what do they actually provide football kind of getting everything they already would, would bring you already like the right. eyeballs already watch pac-12 football anyways another program i've heard bad around i don't know if i'm breaking news or whatever but because i don't smu hmm. yeah makes sense but dallas dallas at that sure but what does is SMU built to be a competitive program in all sports in the Pac-12? I don't know if yeah. it is right now, if they were to try Should, to add them in the next few years. Shouldn't the Big 12 and the Pac-12 just merge their yes. best schools? I think like, so. Like you, you take Washington, Oregon, Stanford. You probably have to take Cal because of Stanford. Uh, yes. But you, throw in, you, you throw in Utah and then the Arizona schools. And then you say sorry, Oregon State. Sorry, Washington State. You sorry, Colorado. You're you're not you're not coming with us. And you take Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech, uh, Oklahoma State. You probably take Kansas from a basketball perspective, and Houston because they're going to be in the Big Twelve now. Um, BYU and, maybe. Yeah, and BYU. You form those schools together and you make a new conference. That that feels like what they should be doing, but they're both kind of like just so stubborn. No, we want to survive. We don't want to mix. Yeah, I mean, I it, I might be mixing my stories here, but uh, I mean, George Klyovkov came pretty much made presented that idea to the Big Twelve, or at least was kind of floating it out there. Uh, I guess a year ago now. And of course, I got struck down. And listen. Um, for the most part, I like all these commissioners. I think they're all very smart. Uh, Brett Yormark uh, in the Big 12, though, is just like, I think he's the most aggressive commissioner there is out there. Um, he is a forward thinker and is just like a locomotive that's just like, I'm going to do this, get out of the way. I don't care what you think. And uh, and some of the things they've been doing behind the scenes, it, uh, they're certainly positioned to do that. And in a lot of ways, you got to have that strong-headed type of leadership where you just care about your own silo more so than the health of college athletics as a whole. Because, listen, as much as we try to treat this like a national sport or national conglomeration on the NCAA, it's still a regional situation. Yeah. It always has been. I, I have just one last question for you for me. Just 
2023 Oregon specific, just kind of like rosters are changing across the country. So it's too hard to really say like definitively beyond a couple schools, like their playoff caliber is Oregon though. One of those schools that we can say like, Hey, like playoffs are the expectation for this team. Or is that too lofty of a goal? Knowing the league, knowing the, the, the schedule they have to play. They have to go at Texas tech. Uh, it should be a top 25 matchup week two. Yeah. Um, it is is it too lofty to say that, or is it just hey, like the goal should always be for Oregon, no matter what the roster looks like, just get to the get to the Rose Bowl and or whatever the Rose Bowl becomes down the road. Yeah, I think the goal should be get to the Pac-12 championship, and that's oh. going to be an absolute killer road to get to this year. Because as I said, I think the Pac-12 is going to be as strong as it's been, and it's maybe going to be the second best conference out there. It also depends on how the schedule shakes up, when you're playing certain teams, when you're not. Um, and I don't think fans should be disappointed if, for example, there's kind of almost a repeat of this past year where you fall short of the Pac-12 championship game. So I thought, I think you guys, I would think, would agree that this was a pretty successful year for Oregon, all things considered. Yeah. And they've set up the foundation to be able to continue this. Because I think a lot of us were sitting there thinking, Mario's gone and say what you want about him, but there's a transition there. Maybe you're going to play a little bit differently. You got a defensive mindset in there now really a first-time offensive coordinator in Kenny Dillingham who is calling plays by himself for the first time in his career. Yeah. And you're like, a lot of this could just fall apart under a first-year team, and it didn't. And it looked very, very strong and threatening uh, for most of the season, other than maybe three games. So if if Oregon somehow were to win 10 games next year, I think that's very successful, whether they reach the Pac-12 championship game or not. But – Oregon fans should sit there and think a reasonable expectation is to be competing for the Pac-12 championship going into next season. Um, and if you win the Pac-12 championship game, you will be in the playoff. The Pac-12 champion next season will be in the playoff, in my opinion, finally. Long overdue. Long, long yes. overdue. I mean, it's been so long. It's been it's been too long. Um, yeah, and I, my last question here, and you mentioned the strength of the conference. I, I actually found it interesting looking through, you know, it's always kind of a fun exercise the day after the national championship, looking through all the different publications, way too early top 25s, which again, are kind of meaningless, but just yeah. to get a, a feel for the national polls. And I, I thought it was fascinating. There, there were, um, I think, six teams in the, or, yeah, five teams in the conference that were in every single one of the polls, but the top four being USC, Oregon, Washington, Utah, it's kind of a rotation of order there. It doesn't seem like there was consensus. You don't have to answer in order if, unless you feel like it. But do you, how do you kind of see this shaking out? Do you feel like any of these teams are separating from each other? Or, or is it part of the reason it, you, know, you, you think so highly of the conference is that there is this top four, top five teams that are all kind of on even footing in your mind? There's a lot of uneven footing there. On even footing, excuse me. And by the way, I my top I do a top thirty every week. My top thirty, I call it the stupid early top thirty. <laughs> That's better. We should be calling it that, right? Because it is yeah. stupid. It is inherently it's dumb. Stupid transfer portals change and everything. These teams are gonna look different. Though uh, my colleague Brad Crawford said he went back to our early top twenty five rankings we did twenty four seven and said that we had 13, 13 of the teams or something like that we ranked in the early early poll in January were ranked in the postseason this year. Pretty good. That's oh, nice. a pretty good success rate considering. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's luck though. So anyway, this is how I've got the Pac-12 teams, and I don't even remember this, but this is how after doing research and putting it down, then I just throw it away. So yeah, all right. right, all right. So my top Pac-12 teams in order, I've got Washington, who I think is the is going to win the Pac-12. I'm gonna say that right now. 
Not going to be a pocket passing offense not, in the no. country. <laughs> I know, I know. Best passing <laughs> offense in the country. Kalen DeBoer is. I think he might be the best coach in the Pac-12. Yeah. Uh, the guy can run a program. Anyway, sorry. Washington, USC, Oregon, Oregon State, UCLA, Utah. My Utah ranking was before Cam Rising announced he was coming back. I thought he was gone. So flip so did, Utah. So did, so did a lot of us. Flip Utah and UCLA. Um, and that's that's it. Okay. So that's what I've got from the Pac-12. Um, USC though is like the the team. I just I sit there and I go, why do I have them at nine? It's like, oh, because they have a Heisman winning quarterback. They got all this talent on offense, and certainly they can't be worse than they were on defense. And then. Alex Grinch goes out and three quarters way through the season, the team stops tackling again and uh, they blow a game. I mean, they should have lost Oregon State, as we know. Yeah. Um, they've obviously lost to Utah twice, got manhandled both times, really. I know the score, you know, overtime score the first game, but they were just manhandled up front. And Caleb Williams, if not for him, they don't win that game. Uh, but again, it's like Caleb Williams is. Just absolutely special. The guy is, I hate comparisons. I hate that stuff. But he's Patrick Mahomes. Ooh, the guy's yeah. like Patrick Mahomes. He just creates and just, it's almost like he toys with people. Like, I'm bored. I'm going to run around a little bit and throw something. Here, here we go. Oh, touchdown. Um, but Washington is, they're going to be, they're going to be scary next year, potentially. They have their best, they have maybe the best quarterback coming back and their top three receivers which all were really special dudes. Their their offense is going to be stupid good. Can you imagine saying that uh, a year and a half ago when they were losing to FCS teams and barely putting up seven to ten points? Well, the, fu the no. funny part is some of the infrastructure, at least at receiver, I know the quarterback change was there, and yet it was a very – it was not a good offense at all in, in 21. You know, I've got a couple – Shouldn't maybe admit this on an Oregon podcast. I got a couple of friends that are diehard Washington fans, and we would talk quite civilly about their program. And there was so much frustration about, I think we've got really good receivers, but yet we don't throw them the football. No one gets these guys involved. And, and Sounds felt, like Iowa. Yeah, right. <laughs> but they felt pretty validated this past season with everything that went down. Yeah. Ton of ton of optimism up there, I know, and, and, and for good reason. Yeah, listen. And, I, yeah. I was just say we haven't even talked about Oregon State and Jonathan Smith finally having a quarterback. Like, yes, uh, a guy. And that, but here's the thing: it's almost like we sit there and go, "He's a good quarterback, but he's is he inconsistent?" But true, I I was damn impressed with him this year, at Clemson and DJ Uyangole, because he does not. They do not have elite receivers at Clemson anymore. They've got two young guys on that roster right now who will probably develop to be elite guys, and maybe it'll happen this upcoming year. I think Garrett Riley is like the home run hire of all home run hires this past offseason oh. for assistant coaches. But um, having said that, DJ made those receivers better this year. He threw them open. Yeah, um, look at the Wake Forest game this past year. They beat Wake Forest because of DJ Uyongle. Not the defense, not the receivers, not the offensive line, not the run game. It was DJ. Could not have said that a year ago. A year ago, he was. They were losing games because of him. This year, they were winning games because of him. I thought it was night and day for him this season. I thought he got way too much flack this year because the talent around him just wasn't there at receiver. 
So Oregon State, they're I I, I think that they could be in for a very good, mm-hmm. very good year, obviously, but also one where I'm going, whoa, we got an elite quarterback all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. Should should, should look drastically different. Uh I'm excited already. It's only middle of January. Um, <laughs> we, we have to yep. wait seven and a half more months for college football, but I know. I'm fired up. That's what makes the sport so great is uh, we have to wait a long time and it blows by, but boy, it's fun. Um, Brandon, thanks for coming on the show. We'd love to have you on down the road, get your take on more transitions with the conferences and more outlook uh, perspective from Pac-12 and for Oregon down the road. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate you guys.